Now, we started a new series last week. Uh, we started a series that we're calling Summer School. Summer School. And what we said is the summer started, right? Fireworks, campfire s'mores, ice pops, all of those things. And schools have stopped. And, and there's a time of rest for teachers and for students. But sc- summer's not a time to kind of just shut off the brain and stop learning. No, actually, summer's a great time to wise up. And so welcome to summer school. We're taking a look at the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs has a ton of stuff in it. Wise sayings about work or wise sayings about parenting or just how to live life. And what we said last week is that there's this tension in life that the book of Proverbs points out of living a life filled with folly or living a life filled with wisdom. And there's that tension that we continue to see. And so last week, we took a look at work and what the book of Proverbs has to say about work. Today, we're going to take a look at what the book of Proverbs has to say about pride. Pride. Now, oftentimes, we throw around that word pride, and we're not really sure. We kind of throw other words around. We're like, well, pride is like when you're conceited or when you're arrogant or when you're full of yourself, and you kind of, kind of try to get an example. Like, what does pride actually mean? Well, I would say that pride means this. Pride is when I promote my own status and demote the status of someone else. Pride is when I promote myself and demote someone else. Pride always involves a comparison. Pride always involves a comparison. Pride always elevates my value and decreases the value of someone else. You get that pride always involves a comparison and it always involves the increasing of my value and the decreasing of the value of someone else. And so what we're going to do today is we are going to take an eye exam. You ever take an eye exam? You love it? (laughs) Whatever you enjoy, man, that's fine. (laughs) I remember the first time I took an eye exam, I had never known, I was an adult the first time I took like a real eye exam at an eye doctor. And I went there just to kind of, my wife wanted to get an eye exam and I was like, oh, I'm going to go show moral support. I'll get an eye exam too. Uh, covered my left eye, read the stuff, no problem. And I was like, I'm not sure why I'm taking this. Covered my right eye and someone took everything away. <laughs> and that's when it was at that point, I realized that there was something wrong. Eye exams sometimes show us when something is wrong. And so today we're going to take a look at the eye exam of Proverbs chapter 30. But before we do that, I want to kind of talk a little bit about the uniqueness of this chapter. Some kind of interesting facts about it. You see, Proverbs was written by a guy named Solomon, the king, the king of Israel. He was the son of another king. He was the son of a king named David. And Solomon is given this title, he's given this recognition of being the the wisest man. And he writes this book of Proverbs with all of these words of wisdom in them. But chapter 30 and chapter 31, which are the last two chapters in the book of Proverbs, are assigned to two different names, not Solomon. Chapter 30 is is assigned to a name named Agur, and chapter 31 is assigned to a name named King Lemuel. 
We don't know much about them. They're, they're never mentioned again in the Bible. In fact, there's a lot of debate over who these are. If even they're real people, they could be uh, foreign people from another land or another king in the time of Solomon. Uh, they could, Lemuel could be a nickname of Solomon that he used. It could be characters that Solomon created because of the definitions of their names. We don't really know much about them because they're not mentioned anywhere else. But what we do know about Agur is that he's a son. He's a son of a guy named Jakay. Jakay, we don't know anything about him either. He's not in the Bible. But what we do as we read this chapter, we find out stuff about Agur. We find out that he's a little bit of a humble man. He says in the early verses that he has not really learned wisdom and, and that he's a brute of a man and that he assigns wisdom to God's holy knowledge. And then we get the, the writing style of this chapter is actually very different from a lot of the other writing styles. A lot of the other styles are just these wise words or the kind of collected. It's these sage sayings almost. But when you get to chapter 30, it's almost like it's an oracle. Uh, like it's, it's a, more of a prophetic writing is what we get. And in this chapter, as we go through it, uh, Agur looks and he sees a generation. And he makes an observation about this generation. And he's like, look, look at this generation. There's something you need to see here. There's something we need to learn. And so he points out, and he teases out four verses of observations. And in those four verses, I believe we will find our eye exam in regards to pride. So if you have a Bible, turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30. If you don't own a Bible, you don't have a Bible, uh, you can use the ones that we have here in uh, Calvary Church in Southerton. They're in the seat rack in front of you. Uh, in Quakertown, they're in the back of the room on a cart. Either way, if you don't got one, you can raise a, a, your hand and usher will bring one to you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home. We believe that the Bible is filled with life-changing truth, and we want you to have access to that truth. So take that Bible home, start reading it. Uh, you can start reading in the book of Proverbs, uh, since we're going through that this summer. Proverbs chapter 30. Starting at verse 11. Here's Agur, and he's talking about this generation. He says, There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers. Those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth. Those whose eyes are so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful. Those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth and the needy from among mankind. Agur creates almost a sandwich, if you will. If you're reading those verses, the first and the last verse are describing actions and behaviors and results of those actions and behaviors. And then the two verses in the middle are explaining the motivation, the drive for those actions. And that motivation and that drive of those actions, that source is pride. But not just any pride. Because pride can have different factors that cause it, right? Uh, you can have pride uh, in relationship to your financial status. You can have pride in relationship to your social status. There's different reasons for pride. When we really step back and we look at this chapter, the reason for pride in this chapter is a little bit more dangerous. 
You see, the reason for pride in this chapter is religious status. Religious status. So here is the eye exam of Proverbs chapter 30. The eye exam consists of three questions. The three questions are this. How do I see God? How do I see myself? How do I see others? That's the eye exam. Three questions. How do I see God? How do I see myself? How do I see others? So let's look at the first question. How do I see God? And you might be like, I don't actually, I'm not sure that I read that in those verses. I mean, there's, God's not in those verses. And I would actually argue with you that actually he's in all of those verses. Because those verses actually reflect that generation's view of God. The foundation for all of their actions, the foundation for everything that's going on in their heart is related to this first question of how do I see God? And I think we live in a culture that really values its autonomy, right? We like to make decisions. We like to define things. And at times we extend that to God. At times we like to apply that to God and and we make statements like, my God is like this. Or we look at something in the Bible or we look at something in, in the news and we're like, that doesn't apply. I can't believe in a God that would allow this. Or uh, if God is real, he would be like this. I believe in this type of God. And we make statements and statements and statements and, and we apply them to God. And what we do is we create a box and we tell God, God, you must exist inside of this box. And inside of this box are all of my preferences and my desires and the things that make me feel comfortable. And God, I'm good with you. And God, I'm okay having faith in you as long as you exist in this box. That's completely wrong and it's ridiculous. We can't define God by what we're comfortable with. The only one who's allowed to define God is God. God reveals himself to us through his word. He expresses who he is through his word. But sometimes we pick and choose and we say, well, I like this and I don't like that. But sometimes it's not even that overt. It's not like we just kind of create our own thing. It might be like, I don't really, I can't really kind of comprehend that. So I kind of push it to the side. Or I can't really understand that, so I don't really acknowledge it too much. Or I'll mentally acknowledge these things about God or these attributes about God, but I don't really allow myself to dive in and understand it enough, so it doesn't really impact my life. And I think one of the areas where we really do that often is in regards to the holiness of God. We don't really fully understand it. We don't really fully grasp it, and so we don't really allow it to to really take root and impact our lives in the way that it should. God is holy. That means he's perfect. He's without blemish. There is nothing wrong with God. There is nothing on earth that we could possibly see. No person that we could possibly have an experience with that could get us even remotely close to understanding the holiness of God. God is holy. He is holy. There is no blemish in God. There is no blemish in God. In fact, there's, there's a story in the book of Exodus, the second 
uh, book of the Bible where there's this man named Moses. And if you were to create a Mount Rushmore of the Bible, if you were to create a mountain and you put uh, faces on that mountain, Moses is going to be on Mount Rushmore. Moses is one of those people that you're like, hey, Moses. Yeah. Big fan. Moses is going to be on that Mount Rushmore. And Moses is having a conversation with God. And he says to God, he goes, I want to see your glory. I want to see you. And listen to God's response. God says this in Exodus chapter 33. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no one may see me and live. That's how holy God is. That's how foreign that concept is to us. Moses is asking to see God. God's like, you can't see me. You can't see my face. You will die because of how holy he is. How holy he is. There is no blemish in God. God's holiness is so powerful and so foreign to us. And I think we have to understand that foundation of who God is. We have to see God accurately in order to answer the next two questions because they form the very foundation of how we are to answer the next two questions. You see, the first question of the eye exam is, how do I see God? How do I see God? The second part of the eye exam is this, how do I see myself? How do I see myself? Let's look at verse 12 again. Verse 12, it says this, those who are pure in their own eyes and yet are not cleansed of their filth. This is describing a, a, a group of people who are looking at themselves and saying, I look good. They take out their mirror. Well, no, we don't take out mirrors anymore, I guess. They take out their phones and turn it to selfie mode. Oh, yeah. You look good. They're looking at themselves and they're walking around like, oh, look how pure I am. Look how good I am. And they're constantly looking at themselves and seeing this image of how pure they see themselves. All the while, they're covered in filth. That's a nice, polite word for the English translation. <laughs> Let me explain. When we say filth, we're not talking about mud. We're not talking about them walking through a field and getting muddy and covered and dirty. This word is excrement. They are literally covered in their own filth. They created this filth, and it's all over them. And there's a stench, and they stink. But what they see of themselves is pure and clean. That's what's being described in this picture. 
Someone walking around, looking at themselves, look how pure I am, look how great I am, look how wonderful I am, and they're ignoring their own stench as they are covered in their own filth. And it was hard for me to read this. It was hard for me to read this chapter and not jump to the New Testament. See, Proverbs is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. It was hard for me not to jump to the New Testament, to the first four books of the New Testament, to the Gospels, to the, to the stories of Jesus' life here on earth. It was hard for me not to jump to there and think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and the religious leaders of Jesus' time. Because this is exactly what they did. And what, how did it start? They didn't see Jesus for who he was. They couldn't see Jesus for who he was. And as a result, they also couldn't see themselves accurately. They're walking around in their whitewashed like, selves and thinking that they're so pure and so clean. All the while, they're covered in filth. And Jesus goes after them all the time saying, you don't see. You don't see. You're blind. It comes down on them hard. Because there's a danger when we don't see ourselves accurately. You see, if we don't see Jesus accurately, we won't see ourselves accurately. And then we'll think that we're okay. We think that we're just, I'm a good person. I'm basically all right. I'm, I'm good. We don't see our own filth and our own stench and we walk towards destruction. And on top of that, when we don't see Jesus accurately and we don't see ourselves accurately, we don't see others accurately. And that leads to destruction as well. See, the first question of the eye exam is, how do I see God? That impacts all of the rest of the questions. The second question is, how do I see myself? Do I really see myself accurately? Do I really see myself in comparison to God? Because how I see God and how I see myself will impact how I see others. How I see others. Let's go back into Proverbs 30, verse 13. Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful, the eyes of Proverbs 30 are filled with pride. They are haughty. And the result is that when they look at others, it is filled with disdain. It is filled with judgment. It is just looking down with disgust. Again, let's go back to the sandwich that's the heart of the issue. Those are the eyes of the, of the person. But what are the results of that? We see this generation that doesn't honor their father and mother, which at that time is a capital offense. There's a lot of danger in that. And then we go even further and we see, we see this description of whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives. And they're devouring those in the earth who are poor and who are who, who are. Uh, people we should be caring about. Instead, they are devouring them. And that word for knife in your jaws is not a butter knife. It's not a knife you, 
use for country crock or I can't believe it's not butter. Now that word is like a cleaver. It's a tool of a butcher. The description of these haughty eyes leads to those who act like butchers. That disdain, that disgust, it's like a butcher towards others. And again, I couldn't help but, but think again about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and these religious leaders And they're doing just that. They don't see Jesus for who he is. They don't see themselves accurately as a result. And then what do they do? They constantly, they constantly look down on others with disdain and disgust. And what follows is destruction. And I began to remember a story in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 7. And what happens in Luke chapter 7 is that Jesus goes over to one of these religious leaders' house, this man named Simon. And Jesus goes there for dinner, and he's, he's reclining. He's reclining back, and he's eating. And a woman enters into the room, and all eyes turn towards this woman. Because everyone knows who she is. She has a reputation. She's described as a woman of sin. And as she walks into that room, there are eyes on her. Judging. There are eyes on her. With disdain. But the only person she has her eyes on is Jesus. She walks into that room and she begins to cry and she begins to sob and tears begin to flow down her face and she throws herself at the feet of Jesus and she's behind him and and the tears are flowing and it's flowing over his feet and she's washing his feet with her tears and she begins to dry them with her hair. Listen to Simon, this religious leader, Listen to his reaction as this is happening. She's behind him and and she's kissing Jesus' feet. And in verse 39 of chapter 7 of Luke, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man was a prophet, he's talking about Jesus. Again, he doesn't even get this completely accurate, but if he was a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is that she is a sinner. This is the church leader. This is the one in charge of guiding people in God's teachings. This is a religious leader. And what he sees disgusts him. He doesn't see Jesus accurately, He definitely doesn't see himself accurately. And what he sees disgusts him. And then Jesus does something 
that I think is one of the most powerful things that we see in the Gospels, one of them. Jesus turns to the woman. Jesus turns to the woman and he looks at her. You see, no one had ever looked at that woman like Jesus looked at her. She's been looked at before. She's been looked at with condemnation. She's been looked at with judgment. She's been looked at by people, by men who look at her as an object, who desire to to use her, who crave her. She's been looked at a lot of times, not the way that Jesus looked at her. Not the way that Jesus looked at her. And then Jesus says this. Verse 44, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Because I know you already failed the eye exam, Simon. You see, when I walked in, you didn't wash my feet. Simon, you didn't kiss, you didn't offer me a kiss. You didn't welcome me. You did not see me accurately. I know you didn't see me, and I definitely know you don't see yourself. Do you see this woman? Do you see her? Do you see her the way that I see her? Do you see this woman? See, just like the generation of Proverbs 30 failed the eye exam, so did the religious leaders of Jesus' time also fail that eye exam. They did not see God accurately. They did not see themselves accurately. And they did not see those whom God loves so much accurately as well. And I really wonder what the result of our eye exam would be. I really wonder. I pray and I ask God to send those who need to be impacted by the gospel. I pray and I ask that God would begin to change lives and that people would become disciples of Jesus. And at times I wonder what would happen if God answered that prayer? What would happen if he brought people who need Jesus so desperately through those doors? What would happen? Would we see with Jesus' eyes? Would we I believe that you would. I hope I would. Would we? When different groups of people walk through those doors, will we look at them with eyes that love like Jesus or will we look at them with eyes like the Pharisees 
in, in Luke or like the generation in Proverbs, would we look with disdain and disgust and question, what are you doing in my building? You see, I can go and watch as many episodes of The Chosen as I want. And I can feel very warm and happy when I see all these lives change on that show. I can even watch that actor in a movie and watch the Jesus Revolution and be excited about how God took a hippie generation and turned it into a Jesus movement. I can see that on TV and I can see that in the movies, but if I don't see with eyes of Jesus, I will never see it in my life. We have to see with Jesus' eyes. We have said last week that there's this amazing thing about wisdom in the book of Proverbs and there's this amazing thing of it being uh, assigned to the Son of God and, and, and how it becomes this title of the Son of God, if you will. And so what we said last week is to live the wise life is to live the Jesus life. I need to exchange my proud eyes for Jesus' eyes. Jesus' eyes. That doesn't mean I don't speak truth. That's not what that doesn't mean. It does not mean that we don't speak truth. But I think sometimes we confuse truth with pride. See, truth sets people free. Pride destroys. I can judge which one I'm doing by the fruit of it. I truly don't believe that the biggest danger to the church in our country is a loss of freedom. I believe that the biggest danger to the church in our country is to see inaccurately. To not see God and his holiness and see who he is and have hearts that overwhelm with the response to not see our own sin and what was forgiven of us and to just fall on our feet in gratitude and worship, and to not let that gratitude overflow in how we see others as people whom Jesus loves and desires to save. We've got to see with Jesus' eyes. So here's what we're going to do. You got one homework assignment, should you choose to do it. I want you to pray one prayer. You can pray it for one day. You can pray it for a weekend. You can pray for a week, a month, a year, whatever you want, you choose. That's between you and God. Here's the prayer. Jesus, allow me to see the way you see. That's it. That's your homework. Jesus, allow me to see the way you see. Let's pray. Lord, we ask you that you would allow us to do just that that we would see the way you see, that we would see accurately, that we would see ourselves and the grace that has been shown to us, that we would see your love and your holiness, that we would see others and how they need your love and, and, and your holiness to impact their lives, that we would see it and that it would influence everything that we do, that it would impact everything that we do. That it would impact the way we work, the way we parent, the way we 
go to church, the way we volunteer, the way we uh, just have our leisure time, that everything we do will be done with eyes that see the way Jesus sees. Give us your eyes, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen.